0: Our text for today is found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity... They allure through the lust of the flesh through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in air in this section of second Peter, we are continuing to be warned by the apostle concerning those that make it their endeavor to make merchandise out of believers. It's clearly evident that from the very first century of the church, there have been those who have an intent and a desire to profit off of believers. As a matter of fact, we saw that early on in the ministry of the apostles when one Simon the sorcerer came and wanted to buy the secret that they were using as to how to perform those miracles that he might make merchandise. Every generation has seen men of this cut. Today, the medium of television and of the internet has really opened the door so that hundreds of them promise you anything at all for a chance to pick your pocket and to lead you astray. Misery loves company and some of them are looking for company. There was a man in Chicago years ago who went by the title Father Divine. He was headquartered in Chicago. He dressed in robes of mink and ermine and had his fingers covered with diamonds. His familiar jingle was, a sound heart and a sound mind and one dollar, please. He advertised it didn't cost anything to go go in and be a part of that service, but it would cost you a dollar to get out. And people flocked all over the world pay a buck to go in and listen to Father Divine as he spoke about prophecy and his version of the Word of God. And then there was A.A. Allen out of Miracle Valley, Arizona. He would pull into town with about five tractor-trailer rigs in convoy pull into a vacant lot and set up his tents and ply his trade. The trailers were full of, of tents and chairs. He brought his own chairs and all the stage uh, uh, necessities that were there and always had a whole load of empty ice cream buckets. They make wonderful offering plates when you're anticipating a large offering. Now when he took the offering initially, he would take his Bible and he would lay it on a table there at the front in front of the pulpit. And he would say, all right, we're going to take an offering. Don't disgrace the word of God. with anything smaller than a $5 bill. There'll be an opportunity for the others of you, but don't disgrace the Word of God with less than a $5 bill. And they would march them by. People would come up and lay their money on the Bible. When that was done then, he'd call for the ushers and they had passed the ice cream buckets up every row to collect the money. The front man, one of the front men for A.A. Allen approached a airman that I was with in downtown Monterey. I think I've told you the story a number of times, but, uh, he approached the airman who was in uniform and he said, how would you like to make $25? And he said, well, who do I have to kill? And he said, well, you don't have to kill anybody. You just need to come to the A.A. A. Allen Crusade tonight and when we call for healing, come up on the platform. He said, well, I'm not ill. He said, that doesn't matter. I'll give you $25 if you'll just do that. And he said, no, I couldn't do that. I'm a Christian. And I said, I could do that. And he said, are you... In the military, and I said no, and uh, but but I'll I'll do that. Give me twenty-five dollars. I'll go up there. I had, of course, plan in mind to expose it all, but the airman with his big mouth said, "You don't want him. He's a Baptist preacher." <laughs> the guy ran away. I did go to the crusade that night, but I needed $25 for it. Some of the early marketers of the Word of God in its perverted fashion had faith but were misled. Others had simply an intent to fleece. The sheep. They crafted their own doctrine so that many of them actually believe what they presented. But it led multitudes astray. Dr. Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral comes to mind with his power of positive thinking. His theology was not based upon the Word of God. His theology was based upon the power of positive thinking, but he used the Word of God to interject in his delivery. Now, I, mean, I don't remember when he first started out, he started out standing on the roof of the snack bar at the local drive-in theater, and you could pull in and park and get a meter or get a speaker and put in your car. Some of you probably never ever saw a drive-in theater <laughs> and and get uh, uh, the speaker in the car and sit in the comfort of your car in your pajamas or whatever and go to church. But that blossomed into what he called the Crystal Cathedral, a large auditorium built out of windows. Uh, there in Garden Grove, California. His message was one of positive thinking. There's a tremendous market among the biblical illiterates who willingly fill the auditoriums and the coffers of those who are motivated by greed and by their ego to build themselves a following. Let's look at what Peter had to say about it. These are wells of water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. These men keep on being spring-fed fountains that are waterless. I suppose some of you have been in the woods and run across a spring only to find that it had dried up and there wasn't much. There is one up Highway 90 as you go up out of near Wallace just before you get into Wallace on the right hand side, uh, a fountain. I've got some pictures of it this winter, where the water has frozen around the fountains, but the fountains are still running. But the fountains that the Apostle Peter is talking about are fountains that have dried up. They are spring-fed fountains, and they promise by their appearance Refreshing water, but they are dried up. They are waterless. These false teachers and false prophets uh, make much in the way of promise and motivate and excite their audiences about what they can get from God, but find all too frequently springers run out of water. Peter also compares them to clouds that are carried with a tempest. Clouds, that word actually means mist. And uh, it says, and mist being as a matter of principle driven by means of a storm for whom the mist of the darkness of the regions of the lost is the result. The text actually says, being as a matter of principle driven by means of a storm for whom the black murkiness of the regions of the lost have been reserved For that region, this would indicate then these that are being referred to in this text are not themselves believers, but rather they are unsaved and lost, but they are attempting to profit off of the apparent market that they see in the church house. What is reserved for them is the black murkiness of the regions. That is, Peter says, the one of darkness. The one of darkness that has been completely reserved in the past and is being kept forever. In verse 18, Peter continues by saying for when they speak great swelling words of vanity they allure through the lust of the flesh through much wantonness those that were clean escaped from them who live in air when they speak great swelling words My mom used to say that there are those who think by the inch but speak by the yard ought to be kicked out by the foot. It would seem if you can't convince them with facts that Blarney works pretty well. If you can speak in flowering words and Terms. The statement that is made here is for they make it a principle to constantly participate in speaking great swelling words, literally excessively large words. In 1959... I determined I would go back to college. I had gone one year and then dropped out, got married and um, was pastoring and had another, had that automobile accident where I stuck my head through the windshield of a Jaguar and got an insurance settlement. Well, it's time to pay off the bills and got tuition money to go to school. So we moved down to Southern California. I took a church at Fontana, California and enrolled in California Baptist College. When I, we had made a trip back to Louisiana to visit some relatives there. And on the way home, Minnie and I stopped at Riverside and got I got enrolled in the school and we rented an apartment. My parents had been with us, but um, my dad bought a car while he was back there and so they came back separately from us. And I stopped at the college and enrolled and one of the pastors in the area was there and he said, you're coming back down to school? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, I think you're the one that God's leading me to he said we our church is planning a revival, and we would like for you to i'd like for you to come and be the preacher for that revival We used to have revivals you know uh, where we they were sometimes just protracted meetings <laughs> And sometimes they were truly revivals where there was a renewal. And uh, they were actually misnamed because what they really uh, structured for was evangelism and outreach. And he said, uh, yeah, I'd like for you to come and spend two weeks with us. So I agreed to do that always looking for a chance to preach. I have said I would preach in hell if I had the opportunity. And I think I've done that a time or two. But we, uh, I accepted that invitation and went down to uh, preach that revival. That man prided himself on using seven-syllable words. I think he, if he'd have spent as much time in the Bible as he did in the Thesaurus, in figuring out new words that he might introduce, uh, even with my ego, uh, I became intimidated in the first week to the point that I got on the phone and I called my wife and told her to get someone to babysit the baby and come and spend that next week down there with me, I had to have some support. He liked those long, long syllable words and and liked to use those. And uh, he he was really pretty well convinced uh, that he was the cat's meow in about every circumstance or situation. One evening... As one of the ladies was leaving, she said, uh, Pastor, could you come and to my house tomorrow and talk to me about salvation? I'm not a Christian, but what you're saying intrigues me, and I would like to learn more about it. Well, the pastor was standing next to me when she said that, and so he said, I'll go with you tomorrow when you go to visit that lady. Because he had told me when I first arrived, I don't visit with the pastor. There's a deacon that will take care of the visitation. He'll take you out every day and you'll do the calling with him. But um, I don't do that. But he was going to make an exception. He said, I'll go with you and uh, uh, I'll show you how it's done. He said, if you can get... The person to the kitchen table to talk with them, they will be saved. You've got to get them to the kitchen table. So the next morning we went over to the lady's house at the appointed time and uh, drove my car and went over there. And we went in and started talking with her and she said, I am really interested in becoming a Christian. And he said, could we move into the kitchen to the kitchen table? And she said, well, this is far more comfortable than the kitchen table. And he said, I insist if we can just move in there. So she looked at me, shrugged her shoulders, and we went in and sat down at the kitchen table and he started talking in five, six, seven-syllable words to her. And she said, excuse me, Pastor. She turned to me and she said, do you understand a word he's saying? And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And she said, well, then could you tell it to me in English? He stormed out of the house with my car keys got in my car and drove off. And we were able then to lead the lady to accept Christ as Savior. And then I walked the two miles back to his house after that was over. When I walked in, he said, Well, she got saved, didn't she? And I said, Yes. And he said, you got to get him to the kitchen table. He had a few other quirks about the circumstance. One thing was as we coming to the end of the two week period, we had had 78 people saved during that period, and 38 of the 78 were avowed atheists. We'd gotten a nest of atheists, the deacon and I, and uh, one couple was saved he said i don't need anything but this woman she don't need anything but me we don't need the church we don't need to believe in a god and uh, she said he said to the deacon applegate i'm sick and tired of you calling on me as a matter of fact when we drove up and parked in front of the guy's house he came out on the porch as we started up the sidewalk and he said applegate if that's a preacher you got with you I'm going to do exactly what I told you I would do. And I looked at Applegate, a great big guy. I looked at him and he said, Come on, his bark's worse than his bite. And I perceived that he had told him he was gonna throw somebody the preacher off the property because Applegate simply said, Well I brought a small one so he wouldn't be any strain throwing you throwing him off your property. And he said, Well you're here, come on up and sit. So we went up and talked with him and I said uh, he, he said, what am I going to have to do to get you to quick come into my house? I have no interest. I do not believe in God. I'm tired of putting up with you. And I said, how would you like to get him off your back? And he said, I would love to. What do I have to do? And I said, come to the service tonight and at the close of the service, I'll be at the door As you start out the door, you look me in the eye and tell me there is no God. Applegate will never come back to your house again. The deacon said, now wait a minute, I didn't say that. And I said, what's the matter? Your God not big enough to take care of this. And he said, Applegate, you agree to that? If I come to that service tonight and... And tell this preacher when I walk out the door that there is no God. Will you leave me alone and stop coming to my house? And he said, I will. And he said, I'll be there. He and his wife came forward during the invitation. And accepted Christ as their Savior. And that opened up a whole network of atheists. So there were 38 that were saved. We we came to Friday night before the two weeks would end on Sunday. And one of the men stood up and said, this revival doesn't need to stop. I make a motion that we ask Troy to stay another week. And we run this on another week. And the pastor said, I'll take that under consideration. I'll give you my answer tomorrow night. So on Saturday he said, we're going to let Troy go on and do his thing. I'm going to preach next week. We'll, we'll let this go on, but I'll do the preaching next week and we'll let Troy go on. Well, it was, um, a few months later that I took the pastorate to of the church at Fontana and we had a church picnic and that church was out in that same park having a picnic. That was a Labor Day picnic that we were having and that church was there and uh, the Applegate the deacon said to came over and said could I talk to you and I said sure so he wanted to know how much my honorarium check was and I said well you're the treasurer you made it out he said I didn't put the name on it he said the pastor said he would write the name of the music minister and of you on there and I have a feeling you got the wrong check. He said, we we made a commitment of $250. How much was your check? I said, $78. He said, that's what I thought. That was supposed to go to the music man. And uh, I just thought that. Now, he said, I did, have you heard where Glenn is? Pastor Glenn is? And I said, no. He said, he's in prison. I said, he's in prison. He said, yeah. He was running a nightclub. He owned a nightclub. The whole time he was pastoring here, we didn't know about it. Well, Minnie and I had some suspicions because I, when I called her and said, I need your help down here, he would, that first week, he would say to me after the service, uh, we, we'll take you and the kids back to the house. And if you will not mind getting the kids in bed, the wife and I will be gone for a while, and he would take my car that I just bought the week before and go and they would come in at three in the morning or whatever, so found out that he owned a nightclub and he got arrested or convicted for um i r s fraud in the process. But they're out there. Those guys are out there and they sound good. That was the first church he had pastored. It was a large church. He was an older man, older than me, I was twenty one. Uh, he was he was probably in his late thirties or early forties. And uh if they were forty when I was eighteen or nineteen, I thought they were old, you know. But uh, they're out there. Some of them are genuine in their salvation and they've gotten off on the wrong track concerning the things of God and the doctrine. But there's a whole host of those for whom the gloomy, black, murky is reserved. It has been reserved for them. And they allure, Peter said, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Our flesh is designed as a result of our fall, of the fall of Adam. We have a problem with the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there are three aspects of lust that are covered in Scripture as it relates to our flesh. There is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is the desire, the obsession with satisfying the senses, or at least one of the senses, touch, taste, smell, seeing, and hearing the empirical senses, some have an area of weakness there uh, in in a susceptibility to that. And many of these cults and false prophets uh, promote that and try to push that forward. There are others who weakness is in the area of materialism, the lust of the eyes. That relates to materialism. And they'll promise you the world. They promise you men uh, of the, the word of faith ministry who will say, God wants everyone to be rich. And so the only thing that keeps you from having riches is your lack of faith. If you believe it, if you truly believe it and claim it, God has to give it. Well, that makes the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, a puppet of believers rather than the God of believers. And there is a great deal of anxiety and frustration that develops over those who give their life savings in anticipation of getting greater reward, greater money, As a result of that. They talk about planting seed. You give my ministry a thousand dollars. And God will multiply that tenfold to you. So the offering plates are coming by. And you can put your offering in. They allure through the use of the bait. That appeals to your sensuality. Or to your materialism. Or to your ego. Your pride is the third area. And so these allure through the bait and the sphere of the flesh in excess. Those that were clean escaped. Those that were clean escaped from sin. And now they entrap them through their false teaching, their false prophecy and their false doctrine into Systems of slavery of various forms. They make it a principle these false prophets do to live in air. The appeal to our sinful nature will be dominant in one of those areas, either in sensuality, or in materialism, or in ego. And the Word of Faith ministry has just drained the coffers of their congregation with their seed plant uh, obsession, you give to me and God will give greater to you. And those who have clean escaped the penalty of sin and have found life eternal in Christ, are sucked in by these temptations from their old nature. The text reads this way, these men keep being spring-fed fountains that are waterless, and mists that are driven as a matter of principle by means of a storm for whom The black murkiness of the regions of the lost, the one of darkness, has been completed in the past and is being kept forever. For making it a matter of principle to constantly participate in speaking excessively large words of emptiness, they allure through the use of bait in the sphere of the flesh in excesses, the ones almost escaping as a matter of principle those who make it a principle to continually live in the sphere of air They have completely escaped and now they become slaves of those that teach false doctrine. So like springs that have no water, those who make merchandise of believers issue promises and appearances but they're a misrepresentation. Like clouds of mist that are driven by a storm, those who make merchandise of believers create a storm of excitement and hope, but quickly move on, not leaving any quality, but leaving wreckage in their paths. The illustration of water is an interesting one because Water is used in the scripture as a representation of life. Those who make it merchandise of believers prey on the issue of life. They promise material and physical rewards. Their words are impressive but empty and they allure through the lust of the flesh. I did some counseling A number of years ago with a young man who had tried all the isms of the world. I got acquainted with him through one of the members of our congregation who called me and told me about him. He was a friend of her son. He had involved her son in Buddhism. He decided that Buddha was the way to go and he had Uh, enlisted uh, Ginger's son to join him in that pursuit of Buddhism. But it ran out after a while for them. And he moved from one ism to the other. And he thought he had finally found it, but he was having some problem. He called to find uh, uh, this young man that had been his friend through the years. He didn't know if he had stayed in Buddhism or whatever, and he had found the new way, and so he wanted to share that with this friend, Daniel. So he talked to her mother, and she said, well, he lives out of state now. He's not in this area. And uh, talked with him a while, and as he began, the longer he talked, the more discouraged and despaired he was and it began to to come out to her. And he said, she asked him, you don't sound like you have found happiness. And he said, well, I'm having some real problems and I'm suicidal. He said, I've joined the Word of Faith ministry. I'm going to the college here in Los Angeles. And he said, uh, it's not working for me. I'm sick. And that means I don't have enough faith. And so I'm thinking of just killing myself and being done with it. She talked with him for two hours and asked him if he would talk with me, with her pastor. He said he would. He said, but this Sunday night I'm going to uh, be uh, in Indio. Uh, but the next Sunday night, if I could come to the service, maybe he and I could set up an appointment. And so she told, called me and told me about it and said, he won't be here this Sunday night, but he'll be here next Sunday night. Well, this Sunday night he did show up. And he said, I need an appointment. And I said, well, let's go look at my calendar. So we went back in the office so I could talk with. With him a few minutes, six hours later, I went home. And he went home. He was back, I had, but the appointment we made for was, was for 10 o'clock the next morning. And he barely had time to go back to LA and, and change clothes and whatnot to get back to our appointment at 10 o'clock the next morning. And we spent the whole day. I spent the entire day with him until 2 o'clock that evening. He had dinner with us, and uh, and we had lunch together. Uh, but then finally at 2 o'clock, he left to go back home, and he was floating on a cloud. I have got rid of all those worries and problems, and I have found peace at last, and... and uh, uh, this word of faith ministry, uh, is wrong and it's laid me, laid this guilt on me and I am, have been suicidal. I'm free now after spending time in the word. He said, I'll be back tomorrow. He came back tomorrow and brought with me all his word of faith books. And his word of faith Bible. And he said, I'm, I'm going to burn them. And I said, no, don't burn them. Give them to me. And he said, why do you want them? And I said, so I can research them. When I talk with someone who's involved in it, if I know what it said, what they have been taught, then I can show how the scripture deals with that. So he left his books with me when he left at two o'clock the next morning and um, then he didn't I didn't hear from him for a couple of days and then I got a telephone call and he said could I come back and pick up my books he said i've decided to go back into my college with the word of faith's ministry he was a wealthy man. He came from a wealthy family. His family is one of the furriers in Beverly Hill. But they are Jewish, and so when he professed faith in Christ, they disowned him and threw him out. But he still had access. Matter of fact, told Minnie he'd get her a fur coat if she wanted one. She didn't want one at that particular time. And, uh, so he said, I, I I'm going back to school. Can I come pick up my books? And I said, sure. Come and get them. So he came in. We had sat down to dinner and he knocked on the door. I invited him in and I said, well, you're here. Why why don't you have dinner with us? At 2 o'clock the next morning, he left. No, this is the only place that I found peace. And the word and, and, and I don't want the books. I don't want the Bible. I don't want any of that. I, 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 their notes and stuff. I just want the word of God. And I said, why don't you take the books with you just in case you change your mind again? Well, I'll not change my mind again. I never heard from him after that. They get, into these cults and into these groups and they get these obsessions and, and know that it doesn't work, but they keep going back and trying. Those who are taken in by these false prophets and false teachers, the ones that escaped, but then went back into it, they're taken in by the excesses that are offered by those living and preaching in air. One's vulnerability to the shaman is directly linked to the believer's knowledge or lack thereof of the Word of God. And their willingness to accept it and to apply it to their life will not be sucked into cults and false teaching if we stay in the Word of God and we document the teaching to which we're exposed by the Word of God. Countless times I've been told, Pastor, I don't like the Greek. I don't like the Hebrew. I'm an Englishman. Just give it to me in English. I don't want you to document all that. Just tell me what it says and I'll believe it. I'll accept it. And then how will you test it is my question. We must test what we are exposed to in the Christian realm by that that goes under the name of Christianity. We must test it by the Word of God. And if we don't know the Word of God, we'll not be able to test it and we'll be sucked in to that vacuum. In the 60s, the late 60s and the early 70s, I thought we were headed for a great spiritual awakening, not only in California, not only in the United States, but around the world. There was that movement underway, but it got sidetracked. It was sidetracked by those with good intentions that were brought in or sucked into that vacuum of the lack of a knowledge of the Word of God and uh, emotionalism replaced uh, studious study of the Word of God and uh, emotionalism led the day and that spiritual awakening fizzled out. Oh, there's rumor of another that's sparking today. Even some have been saying, it's like the Jesus movement of the 60s. Our stability comes from knowledge. Knowledge of the Word of God and our faith must be in what the Word says. These false prophets and false teachers use techniques of appealing to your lust pattern through the use of those things that you desire in the flesh, whether it be sensuality or materialism or to feed your ego. So we need to learn to walk in the Spirit and will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I'm going to continue to document. If you don't want it, you don't have to take it. But you have it so that you can test what is being taught by the documentation of it. One of my former members said to me, Pastor, I don't want all that. You just tell me what it says and I'll accept it. And I said, then the next pastor comes along or the next teacher comes along and he teaches contrary. Which one are you going to believe? How are you going to determine which one is right? The one that combs his hair a certain way? The one that's got so many degrees after his name? How are you going to believe? I didn't have any degrees after my name at that point. How are you going to evaluate the truth of it? And so we need to be students of the Word to understand what it says and then a faith to accept it and make application to our lives. So there's that balance that we seek to strike here of teaching the Word, but Along with that then of giving you the documentation so you can test its truth and then you can make the choice to put it on and wear it or to discard it along with the other false teachings. But it all begins at salvation. Our ability to understand the word starts at salvation. I've had so many through the years who have said to me, Pastor, I can't understand what you're saying. It's too complicated. Well, the Bible tells me there's only one reason we can't understand spiritual phenomena is because we're in the flesh. And so if we walk in the Spirit as His in the Spirit, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. So it begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Stories are entertaining but they should have an objective and not replace the word. One semester, as the semester was coming to an end, there was a whole lot more syllabus left than there was time left. And so I said to the students, you're going to, uh, we're going to have to make an adjustment. I'm running behind in getting this material uh, covered so I'm going to have to cut out the stories and we're going to have to focus on the syllabus. And one of the hands went up and I said, yes. And he said, "Could we've got the syllabus. It's got the stuff. Could you just then tell us the stories? Well, unfortunately, if we just feature the stories, we'll miss the punchline. I had a, Chiropractor that we went to in South Dakota while we were there, and uh they a nice couple that uh had their business together and uh they came to church on occasion, but their practice was built on to their residence and so if they stayed at home on the weekends, customers. Patients would come and want them to take care of them. So they said, we've made it a commitment to stay out of town, to be out of town on weekends. So my wife and I travel on weekends. We take little weekend trips. So we're not here very often. But we need your study. Could you give us your tapes? So I said, certainly we can do that. And I took some tapes in one day. Uh, to the office uh and i I was being there for treatment as well and uh I gave her the tapes and she took me back and put me in one of the patient rooms and as we started out of the lobby out of the waiting room, she said, "Oh pastor, there's a question that that we have for you. Uh, do you have a tape that just has your stories?" and doesn't have all that study. And uh so I went on back to the patient room, and after a while, uh, I wondered if they had forgotten I was there, and I went back in, and I said, do you have any reading material besides all this chiropractic stuff? So my point was made, but uh, I never did really give her a tape of just the stories. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder between the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a critic of our intents and thoughts of our heart. Let's close with hymn numbers. I hate to make the announcement. Six. Number (laughs) (laughs) 666. My Jesus, I love Thee.
1: by Jesus. I'll love thee in life Will love thee in death And purchase my pardon On Calvary's bread And serve
0: Father and our God, we give you thanks for your word. We seek wisdom from it. We give you thanks for the Spirit. We seek a sensitivity sensitivity to his leading as we go throughout this week. That you might be properly represented by our sojourner ministry. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.